great to be together again, and like it really feels awesome for me to be back up here on stage and teaching out of God's Word. Um, so it's good and grateful, always grateful to turn to God's Word and to learn and teach uh, out of God's Word. Uh, I'm going to begin with a question. Do you want to make good decisions on life's important choices? I would assume your answer is yes. Yes, I want to make good decisions. So where do we turn for help in making good and wise choices in life? Well, one thing life experiences can teach us a lot. I also think that you know parents can share their wisdom that they've gained over the years to help their children make really wise and important decisions. It seems like wisdom is kind of important in terms of making good decisions. Um, you know, the one thing I think that drives almost every decision we make in life is values. It's values. It's values that are spoken and known, and it's also values that are unnamed and unspoken that drive every decision that we make in life. And that's why advertisers and salespeople try to impress upon us the value of their product that they're selling. I remember when Diane and I were first getting ready to buy our first home, and we met with a realtor and we met with a lender, and they were kind of working out a scenario about how much of a house could we afford. And I remember them sharing basically the scenario was we could afford to purchase a home with a mortgage that would cost us about 35, up to 35% of our annual income. And, well, okay, what does that mean in terms of a price of a house? Well, now, this is 30 years ago, so, you know, things have changed economically and with inflation. But 30 years ago, they told us, they looked at us and said, you could buy a house for $200,000 $250,000. And I remember thinking, that's a whole lot more than I thought I could buy for a house. I was thinking more like seventy dollars seventy to $85,000. And then I realized, in, as we talked, that maybe their values were different than my values around money. Like, I valued, like, having enough money at the end of the month to be able to put some money in retirement. I valued having enough money at the end of the month to be able to take Diana out for dinner every once in a while. I valued being having, having enough money to go to a Chiefs game maybe once a year. I valued having enough money to go visit, pay for gas to go visit family. Both of our families lived out of state. I valued those things. But if we would buy a home at that time for $200,000 or $250,000, we would not have the opportunity to do those things. And that caused me to realize my values and the values of the real estate agent and the lender were a different set of values around money. I saw a video recently on YouTube that demonstrated how values drive decisions. In the video, there's a three-year-old boy who's in a room. He's sitting at a table, and there's an adult in the room with him. And the adult gives the boy two choices. He puts two choices, physical choices, across the table and gives the boy two choices. The first choice he pushes across is a Hershey's chocolate bar. Yeah, the boy's eyes kind of light up. The second choice he gives is he hands over, puts over on the table, about a four-inch stack of $100 bills. Places both of them in front of the child. The child gets to choose which one does he want. What do you think the child chose? The Hershey's chocolate bar, right? He chose the chocolate. And part of the funny part of the video, too, is that the dad is, there's a dad, his dad is watching from the room next door. It's a soundproof room with a two-way mirror. And the dad is shouting at the top of his lungs, take the money, take the money. Right? But the son, the boy, like when he looked at the two choices, he saw the money, but he didn't understand the value. Because all he saw was green paper. But when he looked at the chocolate bar, he knew the value of chocolate, and he took the chocolate, right? Well, that's a little bit about what life is like. And, you know, one of the great benefits of Jesus coming to earth as God's son is that he taught us things about God and about God's kingdom that we would have never understood on our own ability. 
And too often I think we make decisions that are based on what we see and what the world tells us is important, and it can be easy to lose focus on what is important in God's eyes and what is eternal. So the world is focused mainly on the physical and on the now and on immediate gratification, whereas God's kingdom has a much broader focus. It is focused, God's kingdom is focused on the physical, but it's also focused on spiritual and emotional. It's on the whole. It's also focused not just on now, but also on eternity, on what is what a decision, how a decision impacts the future forever. And so there's two different value systems. And in light of that, I sometimes feel like it's easy for us to choose the chocolate bar that's worth maybe $2.50, what the world tells us is important, instead of choosing the stack of hundreds that might represent the value that is in God's kingdom, the eternal value of God's kingdom, because we don't realize what's important in God's kingdom and what's important, really important in our lives. So where do we turn for the wisdom that helps us with those long-term important decisions that last forever? Well, where do we place our trust to take care of our daily today needs, but also our needs for the future? Well, I suggest we can look to find some wisdom in a sermon that Jesus gave that's called the Sermon on the Mount, maybe his most famous message that he gave. And so I invite you, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to look at kind of the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to pick it up in the middle. And Jesus gives some really great wisdom on some important choices in life. So again, Matthew 6, starting in verse 19, Jesus tells us this. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's drop down to verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so Jesus, when we ask the question, you know, like, where do we turn? Where do we place our trust to take care of our needs today and in the future? Jesus tells us, do not place your trust in accumulating wealth. It's going to fail you. But he says, turn your trust to God. God's going to meet our needs today and in the future. So where do we, tr- where do we, where do we place our trust? And Jesus is giving us a warning against um, the trouble of placing trust in earthly treasures. He's saying it's foolish, right? It's not going to bring true security long term because the things of this world are perishable. And of the pursuit of these things can easily supplant God's place as the focal point in our lives. Accumulating wealth to bring satisfaction is a bit like driving in the desert. Let me explain. You know, when I was younger, my family took a vacation to California, and we drove through New Mexico and Arizona, places where there's long stretches of desert. And I observed out of the back seat, as I was looking through the front windshield, down the highway, I could see what looked like water way down the distance. And I thought, oh, we must be coming up on a lake or a stream or something. And yet, the further we drive, the longer that water is further in the distance. And I couldn't understand what was happening. My dad explained, it's a mirage. It's not really water. It's the way the sun reflects off the earth's 
surface. And I thought, well, how der- terrible that would have been for the, you know, the settlers, the pioneers as they're going, trying to walk through those long distances of the desert to think there's water ahead and there's no water. It's only a mirage. And so, you know, it's the same way in the accumulation of wealth that we think it's going to bring true satisfaction and joy. It's only a mirage. The satisfaction is here for the moment, and then like dust in the wind, we're found wanting more. So Jesus is saying you're never going to go wrong. You're not going to be led astray if you make God the ultimate priority in your life. So you're saying, well, maybe, you know, Pastor, are you saying we shouldn't try to save money? It's not good to accumulate wealth. We shouldn't save for retirement or save for buying a bigger home or having a reserve account in case of emergency or a loss of job? No, I don't believe that's what Jesus is teaching here. I don't think that's what the Bible describes about money or accumulation of wealth. Money, wealth, possessions in Scripture have at least three primary positive impacts in the kingdom of God. And God is really clear that money can be used in a positive way to give appropriate care for your family and to make sure that they don't become a burden to others. So we're called to gain resources to take care of our family. Also, money is needed to be able to use, be used to help those who are in need, especially those who are in need in the family of God. In, in the church, I can give you dozens of scriptures that describe God's purpose for money being used in that way. And thirdly, to, be, to encourage and support God's work in spreading the good news locally in Salina and Saline County, but also around the entire globe where we share the good news of Jesus Christ. Money and wealth being used for that purpose is a positive. It's a, big, it's, a, it's a big deal in the kingdom of God. And so money, accumulating wealth and possessions, is not bad as long as we don't make it the goal of life. As long as we don't make it the priority. As long as making money and gaining possessions don't become an idol and replace the importance of God in our lives. And I would tell you, in our culture, that's a tough thing. Because our culture tells us something quite different. It tries to tell us that making and accumulating wealth and resources is a really, really big deal. And so it's countercultural to say it's not that important. So what's a sign that accumulating money is becoming an idol in our lives? Well, if the pursuit of more causes us to lose focus from God on loving God fully with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, And if it keeps us from loving others fully, especially even our family and our friends, if it detracts from that, then, you know, if we're choosing to accumulate money and resources as a higher priority than pursuing God or family or friends, you have an idol that probably needs to be torn down. So one of the dangers of making the pursuit of wealth a priority is that we think the more that we get, the more that we have, the happier we're going to be. And we think that accumulating money is going to serve our wishes to buy things that are going to make us happy and provide security that ultimately will bring us peace and rest. The problem is that we think that money is going to serve our needs. And then what happens over time is when we make that a priority, instead of money being our servant, it becomes our master. And we don't even realize it, right? Like money becomes the thing that drives us instead of money serving our needs and what we, what we need. Money becomes our master instead of our servant. Again, Jesus says no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. Bob Dylan says this, the great songwriter, 
and singer, asked in a song many years ago, who are you going to serve? Who are you going to serve? You've got to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And Jesus is warning us to choose wisely when we're given these choices. Who are you going to serve? You cannot serve both God and money. The warning is, do not place your trust in building wealth that will ultimately fail, but in God who's going to meet, who meets our needs here, but also in the future. And you might ask, well, if I, if I choose God as being my master and place my value in the source of my security in heavenly things, who's going to take care of my needs on a daily basis here on earth? And I think it's an outstanding question. And let's, let's look at what Jesus says further on in this Sermon on the Mount. So if we look again at Matthew chapter 6, if we pick it up in verse 25, this is what Jesus goes on to tell us. He says, therefore, therefore, since we're not going to choose accumulating wealth as the highest priority, but we're going to turn to God and trust in God, therefore, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look to the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will not much more, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So if we ask the question again, like, where do we place our trust to meet our daily needs and our future needs? Jesus is saying, well, don't obsess by worrying about those things. Don't worry, but simply place your trust in God, who's going to adequately take care of your needs today and richly reward you in the future. God's got this. That's what Jesus is saying. God's got this. He says all we have to do is to look to nature to see how God takes care of all that he has created, right? Look to the birds. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, right? We need to understand that Jesus is teaching this to a group of people who were very poor. Most of the people of his day lived literally day to day in terms of substance. Whatever, they, whatever work they did helped them buy food for tomorrow. If they didn't work today, they didn't eat tomorrow. And so for Jesus to say, don't worry about what you eat or drink or the clothes that you may wear or get, it's like he's telling, him, like telling somebody who's on oxygen in the hospital not to worry about their next breath. So why would Jesus tell them not to worry about something that was very real in their lives? And Jesus was warning them, and he warns us as well, against the everyday trouble about worry that can rob us of placing our trust in the source of our security in all things, in God. So Jesus gives us some amazing illustrations in this message. He says, hey, look to the birds of the air, right? He says, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Birds expend energy in doing what's natural to them, right? They build nests. They pursue food to bring back for their young. And yet it's God is the one who ultimately gives them the provisions that they need for what they're doing. And the point is that Jesus' disciples are responsible to carry out the ways of life as ordered by God, just as we are. God gives us lives. He gives us energy. He gives us talents and skills and education. He gives us abilities to go out and to earn income, to make money, to buy and get resources that ultimately God provides. God provides us the life. God provides us the skills. God provides the resources. God is the ultimate provider in our lives. And he's asked the question again, are you not much more valuable than these birds? And we know from God's word that humans are his most valued creation. He says, you're the crown of my creation. You're the rulers of my creation. We're so valuable to God. And then he turns to the wildflowers in the fields and he says, hey, look at them. They're, they're also a reason you shouldn't worry. See the, how the lilies of the field grow. And Jesus basically says, you know, that these flowers of the field, they're more beautiful than King Solomon dressed in all of his splendor with all of his crowns and with all of his jewelry. And if God, that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire. Will he not more clothe you, you of little faith? So he's saying basically if God provides that much care and he, he makes his flowers look that beautiful and they're here today and they're gone tomorrow, how much more does he value you and me? As well, he's going to take care of us. And finally, he encourages us not to worry because that's the pattern of unbelievers who do not understand the immense care and the provision of our heavenly father. He says, for the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that he knows that you need them as well. And so here Jesus is emphasizing those who live and order their lives outside of God's values. They don't know any better, right? Those who have faith in God's provision will not worry, and we will reject the pursuits and the values of unbelievers. He's basically saying, don't be like these people who don't know any better, right? Don't be like those who don't have any hope for the future. They don't know anything about God's love and God's provision. Don't pattern your lives after this world and this world's kingdom, but after the values of God's kingdom. An, absent, uh, an absence of appropriate worry comes from an appropriate understanding of God's provision and care for his children. Okay, you, you can say, okay, I hear Jesus telling us not to be worried about life, but it feels like it goes against every, every part of my nature. Not to have some concerns that occupy my thoughts and, and, and my plans and you know what's happening or what could happen in my life or in my families? Are you suggesting that Jesus is basically saying the same thing as Bobby McFerrin? You know who Bobby McFerrin is, don't you? That great songwriter and singer. He wrote a really famous song about 35 years ago that really strikes on this subject. Maybe you're not familiar with it. I, I, I want to ask you guys to play a couple lines of that song. Maybe you'll remember it or, or hear it. Be happy. You can join in if you want to. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Okay, that's good. Good or bad, it's going to be stuck in your head for the rest of the day, so. I'm sorry. 
Is that what Jesus is telling us? Don't worry, just be happy. Well, I think he is telling us don't worry, but I don't think he has the same conclusions on the second part. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a second. I saw an article that I think is all too familiar scene for for some of us anyway. This is what the writer says. He says, it's 4 a.m., you're wide awake, palms are sweaty, heart is racing, you're worried about your kids, your aging parents, your 401k, your health, your sex life. Breathing beside you, your spouse is oblivious. Doesn't he or she see the dangers that lurk in every shadow? He must not. Otherwise, how could he, with all that's going on in our lives, have suggested last night at dinner so calmly that we should fly to Florida next month for a vacation? Do you ever have that kind of an experience in your life? Most of us probably have. Maybe a little too true for you guys. We'll be praying for you after church. You know what? Mothers, I think, have a special ability to focus on concerns that sometimes occupy their minds. You know, if, you're, if they're pregnant, they worry about the birth uh, itself and about the care of this fragile little blessing that God is bringing into their lives. They become concerned about the health, the proper friends, and even about whom their children will marry one day. They're sometimes worried whether they, as mothers, can handle all the responsibilities that go with motherhood and raising a child or children. And it all sounds so exhausting to be so concerned about so many things. And then husbands and dads may not obsess about those same concerns, but often we struggle with worrying about being able to provide enough for our families, or concerns about, you know, can I handle the job? Am I going to have good job performance? Am I capable enough? What if I mess up? What if I lose my job? What if I don't make that business deal that I need? And what is that the domino that's going to tip the rest of the dominoes that lead to something catastrophic? Warren Wiersbe, who's a really well-known pastor, made this comment in a message one time. He said, it's often said that we're continually being crucified between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. It's a profound statement. And I would say, you know, Jesus did not allow himself to be crucified so that we would continually think about the regrets of yesterday and the worries about tomorrow. It's not the only reason he was crucified, but I'm telling you, he set us free from those kinds of things that sometimes we allow ourselves to be hung up on. When a parent comes to this place where they turn his or her eyes off of Jesus and concerns can easily turn to being consumed by worry and fear and even hopelessness, it can be problematic. And I need to point out that Jesus commands us not to worry about life and food and drink There's a distinction, okay? There's a distinction between concern and worry, okay? Concern is appropriate when it's directed towards the right things, it's kept within a certain uh, bounds, and it causes us to, to do what's right and it's important. But worry is inappropriate when it's wrong, and it's wrong when it's misdirected, or it's in in an abundance that consumes us in terms of just consuming our, our thoughts and our lives, and it keeps us from being able to focus on other things that are important. Or, you know, it indicates a lack of trust in God and in God's provision. This is what Jesus is addressing, this worry that is consuming. And we probably don't think of worry as being a form of idolatry, but it is when we allow it to take our eyes off of Jesus. Okay? And we substitute despair or hopelessness or fear 
in place of God and we turn to our own efforts to try to manage or control what ultimately is not ours to control. And Jesus reminds us, he reminds us that God's love and care are trustworthy. Don't let idols like wealth, accumulating wealth or worrying cause us to lose focus on loving him fully and trusting God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. He encourages us to keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus says, as Bobby McFerrin does, don't worry. But he doesn't say it's as easy as just be happy. No, no. Jesus says, don't worry. Seek first. Let's see what he says that we're to seek. What are we supposed to seek? He says in verses 33 and 34, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. So where do we place our trust to take care of our, da- our daily and our future needs? Jesus said, don't, don't put your trust in accumulating wealth. It's going to fail you. Don't be consumed by worry about tomorrow or about the future or about things you can't or have little control over. No, he says, Put your trust in a place that you can count on, in a, in a being that you can count on. Put your trust in God, who will adequately take care of our needs today and richly reward us in the future. So with Jesus' imperative to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and not to replace those things with accumulating wealth or worrying, we would do well to ask ourselves, what is the most valuable thing in my life? And when we, when we evaluate that, that's what's important. And we should evaluate in relationship to that question, where have we spent our time? Where have we invested our life in purpose, in pursuing? And where have we spent our money? And if we do that life inventory, what does that tell us? Does it tell us that God has the priority of our life? He's the main thing? Or does it give us an indication that maybe accumulating resources is more important than God is. Or maybe we spend too much time worrying about what's going to happen and we don't focus on trusting God. So if it's too much in pursuing accumulation of stuff at the expense of time with God, then what's one step you could take to move and rearrange those priorities? What's one thing you can do? So if it's too much time in pursuing resources and not enough time with God, What do you change in your schedule to have more time to pursue God, to seek Him and His righteousness, and to pursue those important relationships, loving others, right? Especially our family and our friends. Okay, how do you change your schedule to make the main thing the main thing? And if worry is the one thing that's taking your focus off of God, then I would recommend two specific steps for you to take. One, pray more, worry less. Pray more, worry less. Why pray? Well, prayer is the vital communication line that helps us communicate with God and to listen and to realize through prayer that God is real and God is near. He's not far away. He's not distant. And we can learn, like God can speak into us about what is it. He can give us his wisdom. He can give us uh, his sense of peace. There's so many things God can share with us through prayer. So more prayer, less worry. Second thing, 
More thanksgiving, less worry. Why thanksgiving? Well, the problem with worry is oftentimes what happens is there's something that we really become consumed about that's in our life that we don't have control over. We're worried about it. And what happens is we take all of our focus onto that one thing and we all of a sudden forget the broader perspective of all the ways in which God has blessed us and all the ways that God is providing for us today and promises to provide for us tomorrow. And so by giving thanksgiving to God for all these other things in our lives, it helps us to back up and see a better perspective. All, all Again, all the ways God blesses us and is continuing to bless us. Paul tells it to us very simply this way in Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. He says, do not be anxious about anything. He's saying, don't worry. Don't worry. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, prayer, right? He's saying, turn to God in prayer. With thanksgiving, again, the second step, thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't worry. Seek Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for God's word, your word. Thank you for Jesus' message. And God, it's so true still today, 2,000 years later. Maybe life is different or circumstances are different, but we struggle with the same things that his first listeners struggled with, God. It's all over our culture. The, the accumulation of more is so prevalent, and the, it's so easy for us to pursue those things, God, and to be concerned or, and where it becomes worry and obsession about things that we have little, if any, control, and it turns us away from trusting you. God, help us to put you in the right place in our lives. Help us to seek you first in your righteousness and to trust that you're going to put everything else in order. And God, we're grateful for your faithfulness, for your provision, the ways you have blessed us, the ways you are currently blessing us, and your promises to take care of us in the future. God, we pray, help us to fully entrust you with every part of our lives, today and every day moving forward. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.